Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. We do have a lot of fun here at First Baptist, and I'm very thankful for that. So last week in the Bible, <clears throat> we looked at some of King Solomon's wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And, and, and I, you know, you think about it, if, if we could just learn to live by the wisdom in the Bible, can you imagine how much better our lives would be? I mean, honestly, if we just take God's Word for what it is and apply it, man, we would, we'd have it made. It tells us exactly how we're supposed to live. But this morning, I want to jump back over to the historical books. We're going to look at a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there in your Bible. And I want to talk about a king's worship, not just his wisdom this morning, but we're going to talk about Solomon's worship. And I want to set the scene up for you a little bit, because this is such an incredible moment in the history of the nation of Israel. And we've hit some of these high moments in their history throughout the year as we've gone through the Word together. But this is so important because just think back over the past now six months of going through God's Word together and just watching this story unfold, the story of God's people and how they worship the Lord especially. It all started, remember, back in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were literally living in the presence of God every single day, kind of in this, we'll call it a garden temple. It was supposed to be the place on earth where God dwelled with man and, and man could worship Him and live in His presence without any shame or any obstacles in His way because there was no sin at this point, right? And then after the fall of man, God has to then call out for Himself a people from among all the people on the earth. And really the first true organized worship of Yahweh God after the fall revolved around the, the tabernacle in the wilderness. Remember that Moses instructed the people how to build the tabernacle. And God taught them how he ought to be worshipped. How a sinful people can live in the presence of a holy God. Now from that moment forward, things get a little bit less formal and less organized as God's people kind of went astray, right? Then we get to the time of the kings. And King David comes along and David has the vision to build a temple for the Lord in Israel, in Jerusalem. But he was not able to do this in his lifetime. And so that brings us to the reign of his son, Solomon, right? And so this part of Solomon's reign, we kind of mentioned this last week, really marks the glory days of the nation of Israel. Things were peaceful. Things were... Um, the nation was prosperous. It was united. And so we have this King Solomon who was just himself an incredibly prosperous king, a very wise king, really the wisest man to ever live, the Bible says. And he was able to gather all the materials, come up with a plan, put it into action, and build the first temple for God in Israel, the one that we refer to in history as Solomon's temple. So then comes the day for the dedication ceremony of this incredible temple. Now, if we could see this thing, it would just blow our minds how majestic and big and just incredible this project actually was. But here comes the day, and it's a proud moment for King Solomon, who's able to do what his father David was unable to do, and then 
lead the people in their, their heritage of worshiping the one true God and, and establishing a, a literal place, uh, a temple, for them to do so in their own land. Now, I want us to pay attention to Solomon's words and actions here because this day that we're reading about could very easily have been a day about Solomon. But King Solomon refused to make this day about himself. So look, notice what 2 Chronicles chapter 6 says, starting in verse 12. It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire congregation of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high, and put it in the court. He stood on it, knelt down in front of the entire congregation of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps his gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept what you promised to your servant, my father, David. You spoke directly to him and you fulfilled your promise by your power as it is today. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep what you promised to your servant, my father, David. You will never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel if... Only your sons take care to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, Lord God of Israel, please confirm what you promised to your servant David. But will God indeed live on earth with humans? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. Listen to your servant's prayer and his petition, Lord my God, so that you may hear the cry and the prayer that your servant prays before you, so that your eyes watch over this temple day and night toward the place where you said you would put your name, and so that you may hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the petitions of your servant and your people Israel, which they pray toward this place. May you hear in your dwelling place in heaven. May you hear and forgive. Again, I want you to think about what a historic moment this is. When the temple worship of God actually began in Jerusalem, in Israel. Of course, this temple would later be destroyed. Another would be rebuilt in its place. Really, a much larger and probably more grand temple than even Solomon's temple. And even Christ himself would eventually worship God the Father here at this particular place on this temple mount. Generation after generation of Israelites would go here and would worship God here in the same place where we read about Father Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac to God on this very hill. What a holy place. The same place where the veil that covered the Holy of Holies would be torn in two by God Himself when Christ was crucified on the cross. Even today, folks, in 2023, that place is the holiest place in the world. And it's this, this particular real estate in the Middle East. And, and although the temple is long gone, you have all these different world religions fighting for this particular piece of ground because it is so holy. But it all started... Really, on the day that we read about here with King Solomon, dedicating this temple to the Lord. And even more than the building itself, I want us to pay attention to the way that King Solomon worshipped God that day. Notice his actions. The first thing we see is, 
Even kings humble themselves before God. It's a big moment for Solomon. Solomon would literally go down, not just in biblical history, but in history for this particular achievement. But again, he doesn't make this moment about himself. The Bible says he built a platform or a stage, if you will. And normally when you build a stage, it becomes about the person on the stage, right? But Solomon didn't make this about him. He didn't make it a place where he could talk about his achievements or talk about his wealth or talk about his power. It's a stage where all the people can witness Solomon's example of humility and his sincere worship of God on this very special day. And having completed this great task of building the temple of the Lord, Solomon, in all of his splendor, and all of his majesty, humbles himself before God and before God's people. The Bible says that he gets up on this platform and then he kneels down on his knees in front of God and in front of the people in reverence to the Lord. And he, the Bible says that he, as he knelt down, he stretches out his hands And he begins to speak, but he's not talking to the people. He begins to pray to God himself. What a moment. I mean, can you imagine the king on his knees, hands lifted toward heaven, just praying to God in front of the entire congregation of Israel. You know, in the military, you learn a lesson. It's one of the very first things you learn. It's called customs and courtesies. And for those veterans, you know what I'm talking about when I say customs and courtesies. Basically, you learn how you're supposed to act in front of certain people of certain ranks. And so when you're approached by a person of a certain rank, depending on their rank and how high up they are, you stand a certain way, right? And generally speaking, the higher rank of the person, the straighter and taller and and prettier, prettier, you try to stand there, right? It's a lesson that many young soldiers learn the hard way, myself included, many years ago. Because when you don't do that, somebody will get on to you very harshly. You certainly don't sit when you're addressed. When you're addressed by a higher rank, you get up on your feet and you stand there at attention or whatever you're supposed to do, right? Now, I I think about that and I think that's the way the military acts in today's world. We're reading about kings and and, and noble people here. and, And that's something that's so... I think foreign to us today to think about a, an actual king. Now, we have kings throughout the world, but it's just not the same as it was in the ancient world. I mean, folks, we had a king probably you know, a couple hundred years ago, and we got rid of him. So it's hard for us to imagine how we're supposed to act in front of a king or a queen, right? Even in, in the Bible, there's a, there's a story over in the book of Esther where we get a glimpse of this one particular man who refused to kneel for a nobleman, right? And it almost cost him his life. So I think about this and I think what a a beautiful picture of humility in this scene because normally everyone would come before the king and and they're going to bow or kneel in in homage to the king in honor of the king, right? But here we see the king. And folks, understand Solomon, not just any king. The greatest king that Israel ever had. One of the greatest kings the world has ever known. Gets down on his knees before God in front of all of his subjects. All these people. Showing them how they're to worship God now that they have this temple built. How they're to approach God in worship. And I see this king doing this and I think about us. And honestly I think about how we probably have a severe lack of humility in the way that we come before God in worship. And I really see two extremes of this lack of humility. On one extreme we see people 
And I'm not picking on us. I'm just talking about people in general. We'll talk about other people. People come before God and we refuse to worship God in any other way than, than our way. How many times have you heard that? I'm not going to clap. I don't dance like Alistair. I don't sing. I don't play music. I don't do this. I don't do whatever the case may be. Why? Because that's how I worship. And I'm not going to worship any way than my way of worshiping. That's one extreme. The other extreme is a little different. We see worship today that's not only lacking humility, but really that worship, if you call it worship, becomes more about the one that's supposedly doing or leading the worship than about the one that's supposed to be worshipped. we got celebrity-type worship leaders who write songs not about God, but about themselves and make worship about themselves rather than the one that deserves all of our worship. And the point is we need to find some place in the middle when we approach God humbly, as the Bible says, to worship Him in reverence and awe because He is an awesome, awe-inspiring God who deserves all of our worship, whatever that may look like. Second lesson we learn from King Solomon is even kings, some of them anyway, honor God above all. As the king drops to his knees in humility and raises his hands toward heaven, he again begins to speak. But he's not just speaking to people. He's not talking about himself or what he's achieved or his greatness. But he prays and he talks to God Almighty in front of all of these people. And Solomon, the Bible says, praises God for his greatness. He acknowledges that there is no other person like God anywhere, not in heaven nor on earth. He praises God for his faithfulness and keeping his word and keeping his promises throughout the generations. He then reflects back in his prayer, thinking about his father David and God's faithfulness to King David. And he just offers God praise in this moment and the honor that God so rightfully deserves. Now, how do we do this? I mean, we've got a great example here, but what does this mean for us in 2023? How do we honor God above everything else, above all other people, above all other things? I think it kind of goes back to a place where a few months ago in the Ten Commandments, in the way that God begins the Ten Commandments saying, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. We are to never allow folks anything or anybody to take God's rightful place in our lives. We're to love God Himself and God alone with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds. And the moment that you prioritize anything above God or any person above God and you allow your life to go in a direction that the king of your heart does not want it to go, then you have failed to honor Him the way that you're supposed to honor Him above everything else. I think sometimes we forget just how great God really is. How incredible and mighty and powerful and holy and deserving of worship God really is. And because of that, we end up letting things that in the grand scheme of things aren't so great become greater than God is in our lives. 
And then we wonder, why in the world is our life the way that it is? Why is our life falling apart? Listen, folks, God is greater than anything in your life. He's greater than any of the people in your life. He's greater than any relationship that you're trying to hold on to that God doesn't want you to have. He's better than any money that you'll ever make. He's better than anything that you're going to try to enjoy apart from Him and take your time away from Him. God is even better than sports and trips and vacations and all of it put together. He's better than any substance you make. May try and anything you'll try to give yourself to. God is just so much greater and better. And in all his wisdom, Solomon said in front of all these people, I love how he put it, he said, God, there is just none other like you. And when you go back and you realize everything that Solomon tried in this world, that's a pretty big statement. So let me ask you this, where is God in your life today? If you lined up all of the, the key players in your life, you gave them all a little throne to sit on, and you put them in order from, from most important to least important, where's God's seat going to be in that line? If God's seat is not at the head, if He's not in the main throne, in the top place in your life, then something's terribly wrong, folks. Your life will never be what it should be if God is not in the rightful place that He should be in your life. It just won't. It don't work. <laughs> and we see lives crumble and fall apart because of that. Unfortunately, King Solomon also would not always get this lesson right. Later in life, he would give his heart to other things, to other gods, and he would suffer immensely for that, and so would the nation of Israel. But that's a lesson that you don't have to learn the hard way. Put God first in every single thing. And third thing is this. Even kings have to hail God for mercy. Solomon wanted to build this temple for God. But even King Solomon recognized that the greatness of God, this, this God who could not be contained in this incredible temple that was built by human hands, he realized that, that this was just paled in comparison to God himself, as great as it was. And that he paled in comparison to God himself, as great as he was. And Eric did a fantastic job in Brotherhood this morning unpackaging that idea right there. If, guys, if you're missing Brotherhood, you're just missing out, I'm telling you. That's a good plug for Brotherhood this morning. Amen. But in light of... Amen. Amen, Rep. In light of God's greatness and in light of God's goodness, as Solomon goes through and he reflects on God keeping his word and his promises, Solomon cries out to God in the later portion of our passage here, again, in the presence of all the people, and he asks God, one, to hear his prayers. And not only to hear his prayers, but how does he end? Hear us, Lord, and forgive. Why? On that day, with all the things going on, would Solomon get on his knees and ask God for forgiveness? To have mercy on this sinful man and these sinful people. Now, I've, I've thought about King Solomon. Have you ever thought about being a king? Be honest, or queen, ladies. You ever sit and think about this stuff? This is, this, this is why I can't write sermons, because I sit and think about being king. Or Batman, or something like that. But I wonder how many times King Solomon, in his court, 
had to judge between justice and mercy. How many times did he have to literally make a decision between life and, and possibly death to extend mercy or to withhold mercy from this person as king? And now this king who's probably offered mercy to many people, if, if you read about his character, I think he probably did. Now he understands that he too needs mercy. Not from people, but from God himself. And he pleads with God to hear their prayers and to offer them all forgiveness. Did you know one of the best feelings in the world is being forgiven? Amen? One of the best things you can experience is being forgiven by somebody. When you wrong somebody, and maybe they don't have to forgive you, but they choose to be gracious and merciful to you, and they forgive you anyway, and it's just so freeing to not have to carry that burden of guilt or whatever any longer. Now multiply that times a thousand or maybe a million or whatever is the feeling that you receive from God Himself, God Almighty, the God that you have wronged, the God that you have sinned against the God who sent His Son to die for your sins. How humbling and how freeing it is to, be forg- to ask Him. He don't just smite you down, but you can come to Him and say, God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. And what does He do? He offers you forgiveness. I've not found a greater relief than that. I've come close. How many knows what this is? I might grunt just a little bit, all right? How many knows what this is? How many's had to carry one of these around before? (laughs) This is one of the worst things that man ever invented. It's called a rucksack, for those of you that don't know. And I've spent a lot of time packing one of these around, walking many miles. And basically, a rucksack is for putting your entire life into... And being able to take it wherever you need to go. You got something to sleep with. You got a change of clothes, maybe. You got some stuff to keep you dry. You got a little matching sleep on. Basically, anything you think you need, you can fit in here and take it with you. Maybe a little something to eat on after a while when you get hungry. Anyway, your whole life goes into this rucksack, right? And after a while, it gets a little heavy. And after several miles, maybe over even several days or longer, it really starts wearing on you. I've done this a lot. Some people like this, and I think they're crazy. But I've done this a lot, and I've never gotten used to it. I've never got to the point where like, this this ain't so bad. It's terrible. And I've reflected over how can I apply this experience to life as I've walked miles and miles carrying one of these things. And I found that one of the best feelings is after 12 miles of doing this or whatever, you get done and you get to just throw this thing off. And it's, it's literally, you can feel the weight just lift off your body and you suddenly feel like you're light as a feather. And I think that's a picture of life, isn't it? Because we go through life, and we have all these experiences, And we fill our rucksack up with life stuff, poor decisions, fear, guilt, sin. And over time, we just get bogged down with life. 
But you know what I've also found? I've heard so many people say, when I came to Christ, it was suddenly like all of that just got lifted off of me. That's a pretty cool trick how that works, isn't it? That's like coming to Jesus. When I came to Jesus, I, didn't, I was young and I didn't have a lifelong load of, of stuff that I had to get rid of, but I had my sin. And when I came to Jesus, all that sin just got lifted off of me because He took it. And maybe that's what you need this morning. That's called mercy. Mercy is relief. It's not experiencing the things that you deserve. So my question for you this morning in closing is where are you at in all of this? Maybe you need that relief this morning, that mercy, that forgiveness. You need to get rid of some stuff that you've been carrying around and turn it over to the Lord. Maybe you need to humble yourself a little more this morning like Solomon humbled himself in front of God and all the people. Just stop trying to do things your way and start doing things God's way. Whatever that looks like in your life. Maybe you need to, to just commit this morning that, that you're going to stop putting God second, third, fourth, fifth, right on down the line. But you're going to put God first no matter what. You're going to put God before your family, before your church, before the fun stuff. God's first. And when you do that, everything else will line up in its appropriate order. Stand together as we pray. Father, today we thank you so much for, for that freedom that we can have in Christ. God, sometimes we're so afraid to just pull the strap and be free. We hang on to things. We cling to things. We're ashamed of these things. We don't want to let them go because we're afraid that you know, maybe somebody will say something or whatever. But God, we need that freedom that comes through knowing Jesus today. God, so many of us carry burdens from hurts or bad decisions or whatever the case may be, and we just need it gone. Lord, please take it this morning. And God, if there's someone here that doesn't know that freedom, that doesn't know Jesus, God, I pray that they'd have the faith to say yes to Him today. And God, if there's a man or a woman here who's been living their life totally out of order. We don't have our priorities right. We haven't ever placed God first. God, I pray today that that person would choose to make God top priority in his or her life and put the king where he belongs in our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we sing this morning a song of invitation. If you want to come and pray, of course, this altar is open. If you'd like for Shane or myself to pray with you, we're always more than glad. If there's a decision you need to make, if you need to be saved this morning, why don't you come? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at BarbervilleFBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.